0: The Canucks get some help up front as they host the Stars in another massive Western Conference clash. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer, it's definitely uh, a good news, bad news situation, or maybe a bad news, good news situation for the Canucks, considering the timeline of it all. But, of course, going into the Stars game, no Bo Horvat. We've known that for a couple of days now, but... Brock Besser and Matthew Highmore back on the ice with the team at Morning Skate today. So, you know, if you were kind of drawing up what the lineup might look like based on Bo Horvat's absence after uh, the game on Thursday, you probably weren't feeling too great about it, but at least with Besser and Highmore back, uh, it salvages a little bit of that forward
1: depth up front for the Canucks going into this one against the Stars. It's hugely important that they get Brock Besser back because... As you look through what Vancouver has accomplished in the month of April, right? And they haven't lost a game in regulation this month, right? They haven't dropped points all month. And we're 18 days in. An incredible achievement to keep their season alive. What's been driving it, right? Obviously, we know what Miller has done with Chason and Colson, And we know what Horvat had been doing with Garland and Pedersen. But aside from that... They haven't been getting a lot, right? <laughs> Pretty clear that the separation between top and bottom six is stark at the moment, and in the in a world where Horvat had left the lineup without reinforcements, without the cavalry coming right right on time, uh, you know, very very um, battle of the of the bastards in Game of Thrones, as <laughs> like cavalry could not be timed better to arrive here. I mean, without that. Like, what would you have done? Would you have considered Richardson with Pedersen? Would you have considered Nick Patan? Would you have, con- I mean, yeah. the, the point is, is that you get to a point where you're talking about replacement level or below players immediately, immediately. And with Besser coming in, at least you're able to go Garland, Besser, Pedersen. And that line you hope is able to hit the ground running without, without, sustaining too significant a drop-off because Vancouver cannot have a drop-off in form from their top six right now. That's what's carrying them, right? That, that's carrying them. And then you've got now with Highmore coming back to a Highmore-Lamico-Lockwood line that begins to approximate, perhaps, you hope, what the Canucks had with the with the model line prior to the trade deadline. So all of a sudden, Vancouver looks like they have two lines that you feel Well, let's be honest. They have one really good top six line with Pedersen, Besser, and Garland, and another that's been punching above its weight to this point, at least in terms of scoring, if not in terms of control, and you hope you find something else in your bottom six. That's a far better position to be in than the club was in, as, you know, Friday afternoon when the news began to broke break that the Horvat update was not going to be positive.
0: Yeah, it is, as you said, it really changes how this lineup looks overall. Because all of a sudden, at least you feel like you're getting... You know, we've talked a lot about it a lot, right? The high-end finishing ability. And I know it hasn't been there consistently for Brock Besser this year, but you're getting another player who knows how to score goals in place of Bo Horvat on that line. And obviously Bo Horvat at center does a lot of things that Brock Besser is not going to replicate. And, you know, Bo Horvat's been very effective on the penalty kill, all of that. So it's still a massive, massive blow, obviously, for them not to have Bo Horvat for this final push to the playoffs. But it's also a really incredible opportunity, I think, Drancer, for Brock Besser. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dumbarlumber.com because Brock Besser comes back and he gets to play with Elias Pedersen. Obviously, they have had success playing together uh, on a line in the past. He gets to play with Connor Garland, another offensively talented player, and If Brock Besser comes back into this Canucks lineup and is instrumental, right, has a strong performance, you know, five goals in the final seven games, something like that, right, like really gives this team a push as they continue Mm -hmm. to try to get into the playoffs – I think he has a chance to kind of significantly reshape how people look at his season, right? Like, this is a massive opportunity for him to step up and kind of say, yeah, I know everyone's been talking about Pedersen. I know everyone's been talking about Miller all year. horvat has been on an incredible goal-scoring streak. Now Vasily Colson is stepping up and really producing. But, hey, just wait a second. I'm still a really talented offensive player, and this is a grade-A chance for him to really put his stamp on the final part of the Canucks season here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and they'll need it, right? They'll need it. They need Besser to score here. Now, I, I was interested, though, to see that they're going with Pod Podkolzin yep. in Bo Horvath's spot on the power play, uh, dropping Besser to power play two. Not sure about that in general, just because I think that puts a goal scorer like Besser in fewer positions to score. And you sort of wonder, I mean, with how much... Power play production influences confidence and overall like juices scoring stats. You know, Besser's a guy they're going to count on to score, but it's really more important, especially because he's not on power play one, that he generate and that he help that Pedersen line continue to control play, right? Because when you look through the month of April, right? and You'll see that Pedersen, Garland, and to a lesser extent Horvat, have really solid two-way numbers on the month, right? The Miller line, though, you've got Miller, who's got solid underlying numbers, and then Pod Colson and, and um, Chason sort of come out on the other side of of 50% by expected goals. So really, you're looking at one line that was really controlling play, right, and, and, and generating like controlling the balance of quality looks and another line that was doing some good things territorially and getting rewarded for the chances that they were generating, but wasn't necessarily an imposing two way line in the same way. So Besser going onto the, the, the Pedersen line in Horvat's place. I think what you're looking for, uh, particularly cause he's not getting PP one time is can he contribute to the sorts of heavy shifts mm-hmm. that Vancouver is going to need to string together, particularly against a Dallas team that controls play better five on five and is really good at staying out of the box, right? I mean, that's the whole challenge here. Dallas struggles to score. Dallas struggles to score. And they've only, they only scored three even strength goals in the last week, right? Like they they went two incredible three even strength goals across three games. And they got points out of all three, you know, that's you only do that if you can lock down games, if you can control games, and Dallas did to a tune of a fifty-seven percent expected goals clip. Like that's the complete opposite of Vancouver, right? Vancouver surrenders too much, but they capitalize. They capitalize on their chances, and they usually have the edge in net against the Dallas Stars, right? The Canucks are going to need to find like a baseline level of control, and Besser needs to be central to that on a line with Pedersen and Garland that is by far Vancouver's best bet to have a line that goes out and, and generates some of those heavy shifts that you need just to create easier sledding for Vancouver's overtaxed depth, right? At the top end of the lineup, the Canucks are decent. Beneath that, it can get dicey in a hurry. And, and thankfully for them, that's kind of the same story for Dallas. But Dallas is a team, controls play better and tends to, tends to uh, be tough to ventilate. So... A really interesting contrast in styles. The main goal from Besser, though, cannot be we need him to manufacture offense for this team. It has to be, especially because he's not playing PP1, the main goal has to be can he help Petterson and Garland spend like create zone time and create looks? And you hope one goes in.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know if he's uh, if he's doing that and setting up Peterson, right and and helping Elias Peterson continue the incredible offensive run that he's been on as well. Yeah, you'll take that every day of the week. And and I do think Dranter too at a certain point. You know, if he does that and he contributes in those ways, even if the numbers for Besser aren't necessarily gaudy, it will help people kind of. Uh, You know, I don't want to say be reminded of how good Besser can be, but it will help kind of recalibrate what people think of his season if he's a key driver on that line and the Canucks continue to have uh, the kind of success that you outlined that they've been having so far. In the month of April, just to get everyone caught up, here is how the Canucks lined up this morning at Morning Skate ahead of tonight's game against the Dallas Stars. It was J.T. Miller first-line center between Pod Colson and Alex Chason. They've been skating together and obviously having a lot of success recently. Patterson between Garland and Besser on the second line. Lamico with Highmore and Lockwood. And then Brad Richardson centering Jason Dickinson and Sheldon Drys on the fourth line. Nick Patan was the extra. No changes on defense. O.E.L. and Myers, Hughes and Shen. And Brad Hunt and Travis Dermott rounding out the blue line, and yeah, the the Besser has to kind of seamlessly fit in with Pedersen and Garland and can keep the good times going for that line. The other couple of interesting lineup notes for me is okay, they get Matthew Highmore back, and you know, on its own. Full credit to Matthew Highmore, but you're not expecting that to be a real needle-moving addition necessarily in the bottom six. But really, well, I I think you hold on. Here's what I was. Here's what I was going to say. Just for Matthew Highmore as an individual, not necessarily, but the fact that we get to see Lamico with Highmore and another speedy winger in William Lockwood. That makes me wonder, can they unlock something close? Something close. Not exactly what they were getting when Tyler Mott was there, because I don't think that's fair to Will Lockwood, right? And that's kind of underrating what Tyler Mott was doing for that line. But just with Yuho Lamico now centering again, those two speedy, four-checking wingers, how much of an asset can that line be by virtue of getting Matthew Highmore back in the lineup? That's one of the things I'm really going to be watching
1: tonight. Well, the other thing to remember is... Matthew Highmore is going to be coming into the lineup and he is supplanting a defenseman playing out of position Uh in Vancouver's bottom six. Right. So, you know, regardless of what you think about Matthew Highmore and Matthew Highmore has convinced me pretty significantly that he's, you know, an everyday NHL player and maybe, maybe even could be a, a, a top nine type in time. Right. Like he's had that good a season when you're bringing in an everyday NHL caliber player. Right. Even if we take the conservative assessment, of of Highmore's skill set. And he's replacing a defenseman playing out of position in your bottom 6. The floor has moved up significantly there, right? Oh, that's a huge upgrade for Vancouver. Regardless of what you think about Matthew Highmore, I think it's a, I like. I think that's a needle-moving change to the lineup. All of a sudden, you have Richardson Dickinson Dries on the fourth line. That's like fine. That's an NHL. That's an average NHL fourth line, as opposed to a line that has Kyle Burrows on it for some reason, right? I mean, a massive. I think it's a massive addition. The fact that they're getting two forwards back, one to one to supplant Horvat in the top six, and a guy to push a defenseman out of the bottom six, mammoth huge huge for this club and and exactly what they needed at exactly the right time uh, the cavalry the cavalry has arrived yes, and yeah. and not a moment too soon well it, and especially because you know
0: as much as these these players coming back is going to be a massive boost for the Canucks you know obviously Trying to find a way to manage without Bo Bo Horvat is going to be a big struggle as well. Now, the Canucks are in a position where they have kind of the luxury of being able to slide Elias Pettersson right over from the wing back to center. So you still have a one-two punch down the middle of J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson, which a lot of teams around the league would have no problem running that out, right? So you have that luxury, even with Bo Horvat going out. You still feel pretty good about your top six centers, but it's going to be – for me, it's one – how does the power play continue to thrive? Because we know how important Bo Horvat from that bumper spot has been. And now Vasily Podkolzin gets the opportunity to step up and play there. That's a big opportunity for him. But it's going to be interesting to see how that hard top spot, unit. Yeah.
1: Hard spark to go into. Exactly,
0: right? Like, right? like Bo Horvat has become so proficient and so excellent at playing yep. that role. So that's a really big... Those are big shoes for Vasily Podkolzin to fill in. And then the other one is, for me, the penalty kill as well, right? Like, Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat have really found some chemistry as a penalty-killing duo. And the penalty kill has been generating success for this team, helping them achieve the results they've been getting recently. Now, Matthew Highmore, you got to figure, can step in there as well. But if it just tweaks the chemistry and and who's out there together a little bit, I wonder if we see a drop-off. So it's really, look, you're going to miss them at 5-on-5 too, but on both special teams units, I think it's going to be a big gap for the team to fill.
1: Well, and that's killer because the Canucks have really leaned, Yep. I mean, in addition to elite goaltending and a quality run of shooting luck, uh, they've really leaned on special teams to get them wins, get them points in every game this month so far, and so... I wanna I wanna quickly look ahead a little bit though, right? Because tonight launches the gauntlet. Like this is a gauntlet that ends the season for the Canucks. Over the next twelve days, they'll play eight games. They're gonna finish the season here with eight games in twelve days. That is a S- seven big games. seven games. It's seven oh, yeah. games. Sorry, yeah. seven and twelve. That is a big lift. Is it really seven? It is seven. Man, I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need to check my math. Um, the yeah okay seven games seven games in twelve days that is a big lift here and I thought the most interesting comment from Bruce Boudreaux's post game availability was asked by Post Media's Ben Kuzma about the the plans in net tonight and tomorrow and he's answered that you know going back to back with UC Saros didn't work out well for the Predators right that was all he said he said ah oh, we haven't like we haven't really docked up our plans but it didn't work out too well for Nashville yesterday. Which implies to me that they're going to go Demco tonight, Halak on Tuesday. And that's exactly the ex- that's the exact right call, right? That is 100%, no question about it, how you have to do this. You have to. You have no option because you cannot play your starter seven times in 12 days. You just can't, especially when it ends with a back-to-back set, mm-hmm. right? The last time we saw Demco play seven and 12, it was that homestand stand. And in the back-to-back set, he allowed 7 goals on 58 shots faced, right? I mean, those games matter too much for like it's not break glass in case of emergency now. You have well, sorry, and it is, but you have to wait. You have to wait because your goal is not to hang around in the race for as long as possible. It's to actually make the playoffs, which requires you to keep Demko fresh and put him in the best possible situation. 7 and 12 makes no sense for Vancouver's most important player. I thought that interesting was, uh, I thought that answer from Boudreaux was fascinating because to me it implies heavily. That we're going to see Halak play tomorrow. And, you know, we were
0: talking about this on Thursday, Drancer, ahead of the Arizona game, and I was making the point that you really have to be in kind of Game 7 mentality in terms of how you're using your best players, right? Like, you can't have a minutes restriction. Uh, you can't be too concerned about the minutes loads you're giving guys like Horvat, Petterson, Miller, right? And uh, somebody, one of our regular texters, I believe it was Marcus and Gibson's, texted in, well, would you apply that to the goaltending situation and give Demko the, remaining of, the remainder of the games? And we didn't have a chance to get it on get it onto the air in that episode but I replied in the text box and said you know what I think for goaltending it is different just because we know about the performance drop-off with goalies on a back-to-back and as you said you're trying to keep Thatcher Demko healthy for those final two back-to-back games potentially as well where you might really need them you know with LA and Edmonton back-to-back to to finish off the season and I also do think you have to factor in the fact that it's the Ottawa Senators on the second half of a back-to-back. And I know they have been certainly more game recently than, for example, the Arizona Coyotes, which are just playing through one of the most dismal stretches of NHL hockey we've seen in a little bit. But you still have to have confidence that your backup goalie tomorrow can go in and get the job done on a team that is miles and miles outside of the playoff race. Like, that has to factor in to your decision-making process here, right? And Who knows? Is there a world where, you know, things go a certain way tonight and that changes what Bruce Boudreau is thinking? I guess. But I think at this point it's seven games. Okay, bare minimum, you need to win six of them. You're going to have to get Yara Halaka start in there somewhere. Right. As you said, seven games in 12 days. It's asking too much of Thatcher Demko. It's actually lessening your odds of getting results if you try to ask him to play all of those games. So you're going to have to get Halak in somewhere. And against the Ottawa Senators on the second half of a back-to-back, I think that's just the most logical spot left on the calendar. So why not play him in that one?
1: It's it's a no-brainer. And it's a no-brainer that the Canucks clearly are going to lean lean toward. I mean, I thought that answer from Bruce Boudreaux was better than confirmation. To be totally honest, right? I mean, just told you everything i saw nashville run out sorrows too often we can't do the same um you know we haven't made our decision yet but i mean that's that hand tipped we know what we know that it's going to be Halak tomorrow <laughs> i think based off of that we don't have to have it confirmed to know it we we just know and that's exactly right that's exactly right six and twelve with a back-to-back at the tail end that's livable that i think you can trust Demco to do and so uh, a fascinating week unfolding because Vancouver really does need four points from these next two games. So there are no, no no, bones about it. I know that people are looking at the standings and saying, hey, like, you know, if they win out, LA doesn't even need to collapse here. But, I mean, winning out is tough. Like, what? really tough. Winning out's very you hard know, to do. You need seven more wins. Like, my goodness. You're going to drop some points at some point. You've got Minnesota. You've got Calgary. You've got Dallas tonight. You've got the Kings. You've got the Oilers. Like, they're not... There's only a couple cupcakes left. Uh, Tuesday's one of them, but even Ottawa can beat you any given night. I mean, we saw against Toronto, right? They Mm -hmm. gave Toronto a a real scare on Saturday. Uh, This Ottawa team can beat you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, not to mention Seattle, by the way. Seattle has now become a hard opponent finally, right? Like, all of a sudden, Seattle's winning a ton of games, even though usually – uh, at this time of the year, Chalk plays. Like, Chalk plays a lot after the trade deadline. But Seattle's Seattle's uh, spoiling some things for, for a few teams along the way. Th- tonight is a really interesting game for me for a lot of reasons. Tomorrow's a really interesting game for me for a lot of reasons. But the main the main source of interest right now is just that if Vancouver can put together their sixth consecutive win and their seventh consecutive win here early on... Then they have a chance they have a chance to at least at least have us talk about them being in a race that doesn 't require miracles right <laughs> which, which to this point still we yeah. haven 't at any point in the season really gotten to a point where we weren 't within the realm. Of the long shot,
0: right? The, um, they're they're still in that mode where it's like win every game to make sure the next game still means something, right? So to make totally, sure the next yeah. game is credibly looked at as a big, meaningful game, and. That's exactly where they still are. You know, if they take four points out of these next two games and certain things go the way, uh, go their way on the Town scoreboard, then yeah, maybe it starts to become less of a miracle. Maybe even some margin of error creeps in, although I'm not necessarily <laughs> expecting that. But yeah, right now it's win this game tonight so that that game tomorrow night still means
1: something for us, even though it's the Ottawa Senators. Totally. Well, and I feel, I feel like we entertain the playoff race in part to be polite, right? Like to this point, I'm still entertaining it. And I feel like I'm being polite doing so. And in, in comes this text to the six hundred and fifty six hundred and fifty inbox. Sorry to be bursting your bubbles, but season is over. I think they should have a bunch of young guys playing this last seven games, including the goalies. Love to hear what you guys think. And you just can't do that to a group that's won this much over the last 50 games. You know, so this group has earned the right at this point to see how far they can take it, right? Not to the point where the club shouldn't have sold at the trade deadline, right? I mean, they did exactly what they should have done, in my opinion. What they had to do with where they were positioned. But enough that you're not going to not ride Demko until you're mathematically eliminated, right? I mean, this team's earned the right, in my view to see how far they can take this. But I do think their playoff chances remain incredibly remote. And and as a as a sign of that, it's it's notable to me that they've won these five straight games and their playoff odds have barely flipped a tick over at the athletics model run by Dom Lecision, right? They've been at 7% steady because all they've really been doing here... Yeah, ring that bell. All they've really been doing here... Is keeping their long shot bid alive, yep. as opposed to as opposed to gaining. Now, you keep winning, you keep winning, and some funky stuff can happen. But that's like the prerequisite. The prerequisite is that the Canucks need to keep winning a series of weighted coin flips. Right? Period. These are weighted coin flips, fifty-five percent chances of winning any given game. Vegas has tonight as a pure pick'em. I think the Canucks are slightly underdogs on the money line, but it's not. Um. It's not significant enough. It's really a pick'em game, so you need to keep winning every. every, You need to keep you need heads to come up seven more times, basically, and that's that's a big ask at this point in the year.
0: And just to the the texter's point about oh hey you know the season is over. I don't think there's anyone who's sitting around saying it's it's more likely than not that the Canucks make the playoffs. Right, like I think the vast majority of people understand. The challenge and the level of the challenge and the the length of the odds right now, but you know what did you say seven percent up at the athletic right like that's a lot seven percent is a lot different than you know a zero point five percent chance right like we totally. would be having we would be having different conversations if they were in a situation where you know dropping two more points meant they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs right like I do think it's important there there are different flavors of very long odds right there's the long odds that the Canucks have and then there's you know zero point five percent or whatever, something like that. So I don't know. It's it's tough because you don't want to act like it's, oh, hey, they win tonight and they're probably going to make it. That's not the situation. But you want to acknowledge no. that there is this kind of long-shot hope that's more than – I don't know. It's more real than uh, than a lot of teams at, at this point of the season, right? So it's it, it's kind of a totally. difficult needle to
1: thread right now. Well, it's it's – I think the way to think about it too is like they were at roughly 0.5% yeah. playoff odds – before they reeled off this series of five straight wins, right? So one way to think about it is by winning five in a row, they've earned this ability for us to suspend our disbelief just a little bit further, right? They they and so long as they keep winning, there is a chance. But the chance is based off of them winning seven more weighted coin yeah. flips, right? And that's and that's it. It reminds me of, like, I don't
0: know what the winning percentage is for a baseball team that's, like, down three going into the bottom of the ninth. Or down four going into the bottom of the ninth, right? It's not good, obviously. But everyone who has a favorite baseball team knows that if you watch enough of those games where your team is down three or four going into the bottom of the ninth... You're going to see some wins, right? Like, if you always turn it off going into the bottom of the ninth, you're going to miss some comeback wins. Everyone knows it's not likely. Everyone knows they're probably not going to do it, but it's also the kind of thing that can happen, right? It wouldn't be like an earth-shaking, oh, my goodness, what? what? They came back from three runs in an inning, right? Like, we all understand that it can happen. It's just a major long shot, and that's kind of how I'm looking at this. Everyone knows it's probably not going to happen, but you're also not at the point where you can turn the TV off and go watch something else just yet. Because Uh, if you do that, you're— you're going to be missing something. You you could miss more
1: like something. more like a, like a five nothing. Sure, deficit. but yeah, but, you know but what yeah, I mean, I mean, right? Like like I will be great. gobsmacked.
0: Miracle I will be gobsmacked. Com- but miracle comebacks happen, and to me, this is in the realm totally. of like. It sounds weird to say a normal miracle. You know what I mean? But it's like, oh okay, <laughs> oh okay, yeah. We've we've seen something like that before. That that's happened before, right? It's uh, not it's not unprecedented. I don't think.
1: Um I think the overall comeback that the team will have authored if sure, they make it sure. would be from this right from, from the, this point right now with 7 games left though.
0: You know what sure, I mean?
1: Then, yeah then it's a little more normal. But yeah. like to to it's like they've already done that. They've already done something that has my jaw on the floor just to get to this point. Period? Yeah. And what happens next, what happens next is going to be fascinating, but um, you know, they, you're right. Yeah. They, it's like they were down, already...
0: they were down 12 early in the game and now they're down five going into the ninth inning or some, something like that. Right. Totally. Down four or yeah, five exactly. going into the ninth.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm with right. you. And, Yeah. Yeah. And Mike and Gibson's saying that he thinks Nashville misses their schedule is deadly. And that's mm-hmm. the other part of this. And we'll get into it a little more in the second half. But like, this is also an asymmetrical matchup and yep. that Dallas has taken care of so much business since these teams, two teams last saw one another. That really, Dallas isn't the team that Vancouver's chasing. Yeah, and their games in their games in hand have played.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. They they finally won those games in hand. Yeah, I want to talk about it a little bit more uh, because it is interesting how this game is viewed this morning, right, or this afternoon as we're talking versus. How it was viewed, uh, you know, last week and and in the lead up to the game. So we'll get into that. Read lots of your texts that are coming in as well. 650, 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Continue to talk about the Canucks playoff push and their matchup with the Stars tonight. Don't forget, subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Lots more coming up. Keep your texts coming in. Uh, it is the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650.
1: There's only a couple cupcakes left.
0: Welcome back to the Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here with you for another half hour on a Canucks game day. 7.30 start tonight at Rogers Arena against the Dallas Stars. Uh, All-day game day coverage here on Sportsnet 650. And, of course, Batch and Hershey will have the call at 7.30. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Marcus and Gibson's texted in, Jamie, it's more like being down three going into the bottom of the ninth and Mariano Rivera is coming into the game. And fair enough, fair enough, Marcus. But, uh, hey, I mean, Rivera didn't have a perfect record, right? Like, he blew saves. Luis Gonzalez, bloop single. Uh, to win the World Series for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So there you go. If Luis Gonzalez can do it against Mariano Rivera, then may- <laughs> maybe the Canucks. Who, who who will be their bloop single? Or what will be their bloop single?
1: Oh, Re- they've CBC. already had 18 million. I think Alex Chason <laughs> yes, becoming yes. a scoring stud. Or, she- or maybe it's Sheldon Dry's power play specialist. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of contenders for the bloop, there are- bloop single off <laughs> among the Canucks. Um, I want to read this text. It's not going to happen, but it sure was fun to have something to cheer for. It seems that Jim Benning did a pretty good job after all hashtag sea legs. Um, I hear this take going around a lot, right? That like, maybe, maybe look at, well, look what they've done over 50 games. Maybe, maybe Jim Benning didn't get enough credit and man, we have to make sure that that's not a take that, lasts like we really have to make sure that people understand in my opinion anyway like I think it's really vital maybe not for fans because fans are allowed to think what they want and you can root however you want but I certainly think if the team looks at this 50 game run looks at the fact that this club has had elite 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 goaltending like some of the best goaltending in hockey has shot the absolute lights out on the power play and still like with all of that wind at their back has still only managed to run like a, you know, fringe top 10 team, right? Like really good. Don't get me wrong. It's been an excellent run and these players deserve a ton of credit, but you know, to put it in a context, no one thinks the Dallas stars are world beaters, right? And since December 6th or December 5th, when the Canucks made their big changes, the Dallas stars have 65 points and the Canucks have 66 Right? The Nashville Predators, they, everyone's hoping that they can't withstand this brutal schedule to end the season. No one thinks the Nashville Predators are winning a cup anytime soon, right? And yet, since December 5th, they have 64 points. Vancouver has 66. So, you know, I know that people really want to hand out participation ribbons to the Canucks for how they've done over 50 games. And they deserve a lot of credit, don't get me wrong. What Boudreaux's accomplished here, the way the team has performed in the second half, I think it's shown that this team was roughly where we expected them to be before the season. Like, they are kind of what we thought they were in terms of true talent. They're peers with these other fringe playoff teams in the West. Your LA Kings, your Nashville Predators, your Dallas Stars, your Vancouver Canucks. Like, that's their peer group, you know? Fine. I don't think anyone was disputing that really at any point right like going into the season we expected them to be in with a shot i was sort of negative in that i thought that they would be unlikely like i thought they'd be on the outside looking in of that milieu of that group um you know and and i think that's likely where they where they fall just because they've overachieved for 50 games does not vindicate a you know no plan plan to to quote ray ferraro a a, a eight year effort which in the event that the Canucks miss this year, will result in the Canucks having made the playoffs twice since 2014, right? Like, yeah. twice in eight years. Come on. And and at best, at best, with the wind at their back and Boudreaux crushing it and the goaltenders saving everything, you know, Spencer Martin coming in and giving them 950 goaltending, the power play shooting the lights out, a ton of puck luck on the way, like, all of this going in their favor. Even with all of that, right? They're, they're still playing at the rate of a non-elite team. Like, come on, stop it. Stop it. And There's a lot of work that still needs to happen for this team to be where we're
0: all hoping they get to. I think just zooming out, even from, you know, not even just looking at this from Solia Canucks perspective, th- this kind of ties into a conversation we had last week on the show, right? About the potential of the NHL adopting a play-in tournament, right? And People, you know, having a problem with that because, oh, it's not fair to the seventh or eighth place teams. And just in general, there's this mentality around the NHL and from fans and even people in the NHL, I think, to a certain extent, that just making the playoffs is a major accomplishment, right? Like that that really says that you're a strong, well-built, good team, but crummy teams make the playoffs every year, right? Mediocre teams make the playoffs every year. Half of the league makes the playoffs. So Yes, there's a chance that this team makes the playoffs, but that doesn't all of a sudden vindicate all of the roster decisions that were made in, you know, constructing this team, right? Like you can be a deeply flawed team and still make the playoffs in the NHL. Of course you can. And especially, you know, it's one thing if you are a young up and coming team, right, and you sneak in. Okay, hey, that's awesome. Wow, you you right. you know, you outperformed your expectations. That's really exciting. That's really good. But this well, that team that's, that's LA. I know, but that's L A. This is a team that's traded their last two first round picks, right? Like yeah. so, so it's not when you are going to spend those kinds of resources on winning now, right? It, it's actually not that the bar should be so much higher than just making the playoffs. And again, it, this is no a situation question. where two things can be true, right? One thing that can be true is that the players and the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for how they've performed and for how they've salvaged the season. There is no question about that. The other thing that can still be true, despite that, is that the team has serious flaws and needs uh, serious work in the offseason to take that next two or three steps into being serious Stanley Cup contenders, right? Both of those things can be true. And I think for me, that's again, as you said, if if you had predicted that the Canucks would finish, you know, between 15 and 20, 15th and 20th overall in the NHL at the beginning of the year and set the over under at what, like 92 and a half points. I think a lot of people would have said, yeah, that's about right. They're going to finish right around there. They're going to finish right around there. And the shape of how it happened with the dreadful, dreadful first 25 games and the pretty impressive rest of the season after that, I understand how that can kind of be a distraction, but I don't think it actually changes the the true talent level of this team and what we should expect from them going forward. It can make it harder to uh, to really see it clearly, but I don't think it actually changes the fact that they're going to be pretty similar to what a lot of people thought
1: they were going to be coming into the season. Well, and, and there's a difference in stakes, too. Like, the... LA Kings are playing with house money, right? They're hanging on. They've got six points on the Canucks, right? They're catchable in your mind's eye if you look at it through rose-colored glasses, right? Sure, fine. But the Kings are going to have, you know, 21 million in cap space, could easily carve out more than that if they wanted to. We'll have Jonathan Quick expiring thereafter. So they have long-term cap flexibility, one of the best prospect systems in hockey, right? They're playing with house money. If the if you flipped where the Canucks and the Kings were in the standings, for example, right, you'd still say for of the Kings, hey, that was a good season. Yeah. Like they they are ahead of schedule. They look like they're imposing. They're going to have the opportunity to improve significantly, right? If you if you are the Canucks, though, and you're in this position, right? You're highly over leveraged. You don't have a ton of cap space. You don't have much in the way of prospects coming in the system. They were all in on this year, all in on this year. And they've been great under Bruce Boudreaux, but even if you go look at their last five wins, like they've done it with 13% shooting and 950 goaltending. Like they've done it with all these ephemeral things going in their favor that teams don't typically repeat, that don't typically last year after year. It's not like they've, it's not like a new coach came in and all of a sudden they were a 55% expected goals team controlling play outrageously, right? It's like, They had brutal luck in the first 25 games. No one in that room, no one who was watching them thought they were that bad, right? We all thought, hey, they are massively underperforming. There is something rotten here. But no one thought they were one of the worst teams in the league on true talent, right? The bounce since, I don't think anyone should look at it and say that they are what they've shown over 50 games either under Boudreaux, which is a team, you know, on pace for 107 or so points over 82. Like, they're not that either, They're not that either. There's a truth in the middle. And and the 82 games is going to show it where they're a fringe playoff team. They're an over-leveraged fringe playoff team with very little cap flexibility and very little coming in the way of prospects. And yeah, you got a lot of work to do. And if you think you can just roll it back and run this roster with some tweaks around the edges and get the same results under Boudreau again, just once again, shoot the lights out at 18% 5-on-4 for 50 games and make the playoffs off of that and also have the best 5-on-5 goaltending in the NHL. Like, that's a sucker's bet. You're going to lose that bet. And you just hope that this organization, having lost bet after bet after bet for a decade, right, recognizes that and starts to make some structural changes to build the type of team that can win consistently, durably, and ultimately
0: contend. Uh, 6.50, 6.50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. People are fired up in the tel- into the Dunbar Lumber text line, uh, Dranther. And I, I want to turn our attention back to tonight's game, specifically the Canucks against the Stars here towards the end of the episode, because this one's really fascinating. For a long time, or you know, weeks or whatever, a couple weeks, it's been kind of circled on the calendar as this massive, massive game, You know, do or die, this is the team you're chasing, it's a four-point swing kind of night. This is the big game of the season. And look, at this point for the Canucks, every game is a massive game, right? Every game has that kind of do-or-die feel because they might need to win out to actually make it into the playoffs. But all of a sudden, you look at the standings, and this game is... Not nearly as significant as it felt like it was going to be a few days ago because Dallas has really, as you said, done the job taking care of business with their games in hand and actually crawled into the second or the the first wildcard spot, I should say, ahead of the Nashville Predators. And now you look at it and you look at the Canucks in the standings and who they're chasing. So the final three playoff teams, right, L.A., third in the Pacific, and then the two wildcard teams, Dallas and Nashville, of those three teams... Dallas is probably the third most likely team you're going to catch, right? Like, they're the farthest away. They would be the toughest to track down. L.A., you're only six points back, only, I should say, six points back, and you have the two Two games games in hand, hand, and you still have a game uh, against them as well, and Dallas and Nashville both have 91 points, but Nashville has played an extra game, so you have a game in hand against Nashville as well, and... Of all the teams left in this playoff fight in the Western Conference, Nashville has by far the toughest schedule remaining. So it's an interesting one, and I'm going to be curious to see how it really affects this game. There was, a, there was a universe in which Dallas came into Vancouver tonight thinking, oh man, we absolutely need to beat this plucky Canucks team. We can't let them off the mat. We need to show that, hey, you're not coming back to catch us. But I'm not sure that this game means nearly as much to Dallas now,
1: uh, obviously, as it does to the Canucks tonight. No, it is 100% asymmetrical, right? And, but that doesn't mean that Dallas isn't still looking over their shoulder. Nope. And teams want to punch their ticket as soon as possible, get the rest they need. You know, you, you can do all sorts of things once you're in. Once you see that little X beside your team's name, it's an exciting day for players, for everyone in an organization. You can pivot to start selling playoff tickets. You can do all sorts of things that matter. So I don't want to get this confused and suggest that the Canucks aren't... or Sorry, the Dallas Stars aren't desperate for these two points. They will be. Uh, The Canucks will face a motivated opponent that has played very good structural hockey five-on-five over the course of the past week. But... For Vancouver, this is do or die. For Dallas, this is, you know, another important game. And so, you know, that just goes to show you where Dallas is and also how durable Dallas's lead has proven. I mean, I gave you the stat, right, that the, the Dallas Stars have earned one fewer point, albeit they've played more games. We all know that the they've trailed the Canucks. They've had games in hand on the Canucks uh, throughout this uh, stretch, throughout this season. But, you know... Since the coaching change, Vancouver's gained one point on the Stars. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. The Stars have used their games in hand, but they've gained one point on the Dallas Stars since the 5th of December. Uh, the Stars, though, you know, have lost every game they've played against Vancouver, including that crucial game in Dallas that the Canucks won in overtime. And, you know, when the Canucks won that game back in, you know, late March... It felt like that was a crucial one to reel the Stars in. And yet the Stars had so many games in hand and have won just enough of them against feeble opponents that, in fact, Dallas is likely safe, win or lose tonight. Right? This is not one that Dallas has to have. This is, you know, another important game for a team that's almost surely going to make the playoffs. Uh, For the Canucks, though, it's everything. It's everything tonight. It's everything again tomorrow. And
0: Dallas, you know, they have they do have a few difficult games remaining on the schedule, right? I mean, we'll see what happens tonight against the Canucks. They've got to play Edmonton and Calgary on a back-to-back later this week. They still have Vegas on the schedule at home as well. That could be a potentially very meaningful game. But they also have Seattle, now not the same pushover as you said, that they've been through different parts of the season, Uh, Arizona and Anaheim. And at this point... I mean, Arizona is like the equivalent of the free space for the NHL, right? Like if you're, a, if you're a team with playoff aspirations and you have Arizona still in your schedule and you don't pick up two points, you have to do some serious soul searching because Arizona has just looked unbelievably terrible recently, right? So you just look at that and they already have 91 points. You know, they only really need to sque- squeak out what, like five points? to be completely safe, and you have games against Seattle, Arizona, and Anaheim, they could cough up one of those games and still easily find a way to cruise past the 96 or 97-point threshold. So they've got quite the cushion that they've built up for themselves. The interesting team does, and I've seen some people text us in 650-650 to the Dunbar-Lumber text line. You know, when you look at Nashville's schedule, and it's always tricky to predict – what's going to happen in the kind of final three games of the regular season when you're playing really elite teams, right? Because you don't know, hey, will they have their seating locked up. Are they going to rest people? Are they going to be fully invested? You never quite know. But this is how Nashville's season ends. Calgary at Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Calgary at Colorado, and then at Arizona. So they do wrap up with that game against the Coyotes, kind of last chance if things go really poorly for Nashville to salvage the season. But before that, Those first, what is it, those first five games before the Arizona game, I mean, that's about as tough as it gets in the NHL. Calgary, Tampa, Minnesota, Calgary, Colorado. Now, you still need a lot of other things to go right if you're the Canucks, but if you're just kind of trying to look which team could actually seriously stumble and open the door, you're probably looking at Nashville at
1: this point. Yeah. And I just want to make a correction that pointed out to me in the six fifty, six fifty inbox. Uh, the Canucks did win that game in regulation. I had the um, I had the Dallas overtime loss. I think it was against Toronto recently where they started Glenn Denning and Faxa in overtime in my oh, head. Right. As if that had as if it was burned into my brain, so I, I had that wrong. Uh, the Canucks had lost in overtime after JT Miller hit the post two days earlier. I, I don't know why I got that wrong, but I did just wanted to make that correction. Nashville's in really tough. Especially because the Nashville Predators aren't very good, right? Like, the Nashville Predators aren't very good. Um, UC Soros has been incredible this season. The Nashville Predators are kind of like the Canucks, but with a far better blue line, right? I mean, that's, that, that's the fact of the matter. Um, you know, I think, the, I think the Nashville Predators are a team that's been directionless for a while, rudderless for a while. They have some really inefficient commitments to Matt Duchesne and and Ryan Johansson on the books. Uh, The Philip Forsberg situation is a fascinating one, particularly because he's clearly their best player and is also a UFA and is also 27, a really tough situation for them to navigate. Um, You know, I don't know how this team gets better. I don't think it's going to be straightforward. I think there's pain ahead in Nashville, dark clouds on the horizon that this team is going to have to navigate. And so, you know, the fact that the Canucks are appear in a you know the fact that the Canucks can catch Nashville maybe if Nashville really sort of uh, bottles it here, you know that's good. That's good. That gives that gives the Canucks another possible out. You like that, but. Vancouver should be better than this directionless team whose best days are behind it and who has faded into their rebuilding years, you know, um, kicking and screaming rather than taking advantage of it. And, and is massively overcommitted to a ton of aging players. Um, You know, like that. you don't want to be Nashville. You don't want to be Nashville. You don't want to be Dallas. Like these aren't good teams. We had a texter coming in saying, if the Canucks make the playoffs, will Drance come on the air and say the Canucks are a good team? It's like, no, they're chasing a bunch of teams that aren't that good. Like LA's LA doesn't have a single one of their of their opening night right side defenseman in their lineup right now. You know? Like the LA Kings aren't ready for primetime. They're they're young and precocious and plucky and they've had a great season. Like they're not ready? That's not a good team. The Nashville Predators aren't a good team. The Dallas Stars aren't a good team. Like it's fine for to, it's fine to root for the Canucks to pass these teams, but do not confuse that accomplishment with you know validating that this is a good team. Like these are not good teams, and they're eight, six, seven points clear of this team now. Like, come on, we gotta aim higher, people. We have to. We have to. Please, please. <laughs> the... Was, For the love of all that is holy on this Easter Monday, <laughs> let's aim higher. I almost feel like we should, my goodness, end the show a few minutes early here, just to to give you <laughs> to give you a breather. But I can't, I can't, I just can't. I, I you know, I hope that the Canucks continue to show well, right? I hope that they continue to show well. I, I'm really impressed with what Boudreau has achieved here, but man, we are really, we are really lost if we're looking at Dallas and Nashville and being like, oh boy. Oh boy, if the Canucks can just pass them, it they're vindicated they're vindicated Jim Benning. Oh boy. Yeah. They ran if only not if only if only they'd made a coaching change earlier, they'd be fine. Come on. Come on. This is not this is not what great team these are not what great teams look well, like. Well it's different. I'm
0: sorry, they're just not. They're different conversations though, right? Because there's the the one the, the one conversation is okay. Can they actually make this a reality and catch one of these teams? And in that perspective, I think Nashville, I mean, L.A., you're still closer to L.A. and you have the game against them. So I think it is still probably L.A. 1, Nashville 2, and then kind of Dallas uh, a distant second, but or a distant third, I should say. But, yeah, again, it just comes back to the point that Making the playoffs in and of itself is not a massive vindication of your team, and that I'm not just talking about the Canucks here, right? I'm talking about in general from an NHL-wide perspective. Organizations should not look at it and say, "Hey, we snuck in as the eighth seed; that means we're really doing something right and we're on the right path here." That's just not how it works. uh, When again, half of the teams in your league make the playoffs, and I know you know we have people texting in saying, "Hey, look, you know Montreal made the finals; get in. Anything can happen." But that's, that's just, you know, hope and a prayer as a plan, right? Rather than trying to build, trying to increase your odds, trying to load the dice so that you can actually win the Stanley Cup. That's just kind of hoping that something bonkers will happen and help you get to your ultimate destination. And I think there's a reason why so many people look at that and say that's not sustainable because it's not sustainable, right? Look what happened in Montreal. And I know there's a whole lot of extenuating circumstances with Carey Price and Shea Weber, but hoping that you can be Montreal, who, by the way, didn't even win the Stanley Cup, is not particularly appetizing.
1: They barely won a game in the Cup Final. You know, like, come on. They were so far away from being Tampa Bay when, when it came down to it, right? Uh, although they did do a number on Vegas. I remember being stunned watching that series as as Montreal just took it to Vegas. <laughs> that was phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I mean... You, yeah teams don't win and get it teams don't nothing the parity that the NHL likes to suggest exists in the league does exist but is it exists from teams like 8 through 20 right there's not a ton of difference or not a huge gap between the Washington Capitals and the Vancouver Canucks in my opinion right there's not a huge gap between the New York Islanders and the um you know the Nashville Predators right one team's going to make it one team's going to miss but You know, your mileage may vary one way or the other on them. The fact is, is they're roughly comparable. There is parity between something like the eighth best team, which might be the Capitals, and the 18th or 19th best team, which might be the Islanders or the Canucks, right? I mean, that's fine. But at the very top end, at the very top end, the six or seven real teams win with a shot, the Cup's going to be won by one of those teams. And they are massively better than sort of the also-rans beneath them. Um, some of whom will make the playoffs. Some of whom will have 105 points this season. Some of whom will miss. Uh, the goal, the goal has to be to get out of that mess and into the elite in the NHL. If that's your goal, though, you know you do have to strategically rethink what's occurred. And step one for this management group has to be to take a really critical eye toward 50 massively successful games under Bruce Boudreau. Assign credit certainly to Boudreau and keep him around, and then move on with the work required to get this team out of the mushy middle in which it's been mired for far, far too long. It
0: is a Canucks game day. They host the Stars at 7.30 tonight at Rogers Arena. And more game day coverage coming up next. It's the People's Show on the home of, your, the, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.